0: All right, let's, uh, let's continue with our sixth value, and this is interactive, okay? So you can, you can raise your hand and um, give any kind of feedback that you want. Uh, just make it good because it's being recorded. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, you can say anything you want. Just realize it will go out on the internet for everybody to analyze, okay? All right, value number six is this. Um, children, Jesus made children a priority. So do we. And uh, here's the the text: Mark ten thirteen and fourteen says, "And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. So the the disciples are rebuking the parents for bringing uh, the children to Jesus. Now Jesus." Becomes indignant. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, not with the parents, but with the disciples for saying, hey, he doesn't have time uh, for your children. And by the way, um, if you have ever noticed where this is in the Gospels, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. So, uh, in essence, he is saying, even though I am going to die... I still have time for children, okay? So uh, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So now I know this is such a Sunday school picture of Jesus and (laughs) all the children are Caucasian and Jesus is Caucasian and he's got blue eyes and it's, you know, it's a very white picture of Jesus, okay? Um, but I do love, um, what that conveys. He doesn't just say, yeah, bring them here. I'll bless them. He's going, these are my creations. I've created these children. Okay. And, um, here's what, what we would say about our children's ministry. We don't view children's ministry as babysitting. Okay. Um, we want to teach them something about Jesus every week, and we want those who teach them to love your kids. Okay? We, we really want them to love your kids. Um, in a lot of churches, it's just, well, if we're going to have a church and we're going to have a service, we've we got to throw the kids in a room and somebody's got to keep them busy. Um, our teachers have been instructed to put together uh, developmentally appropriate lessons. And what we mean by that is we realize that children develop at at a different level. Um, In fact, did you know this? Up until about second grade, or about about five or six years old, I should say, um, their attention span is only one minute per year of age. So a four-year-old, you've only got four minutes to make your point. Is top-out at about age It's about age 40. You know, no. <laughs> so, so yeah, there, there are things that you have to keep in mind. Their cognitive ability, their attention span, their potty breaks. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you have to keep in mind. Um, but bottom line, once we factor all that in, we want to teach them something about Jesus at their capacity to, uh, you know, their, their ability to do that. And um, here's the other thing. We've challenged our teachers to, no matter what text they're in, no matter what curriculum is being used, to find Jesus in the passage. Even um, an Old Testament passage um, can lead to the cross. Okay. So in other words, some Sunday school lessons, in fact, a lot of them are nothing more than teaching a moral lesson. Okay. Jesus multiplies the fish because the little boy shared his lunch. You should share too. Now that's a nice lesson, but when that story was written, was it really about sharing your lunch or is it pointing something to Jesus Who's the bread of life? Okay. So um, some of you know my wife is the the director of uh, children's ministries down at Moody. And um, that's what we challenge the kids who are training to be children's ministry directors. Um, Don't just turn the lessons into lessons about nice moral lessons, but teach them about Christ and find Christ in every passage. So it's not just babysitting, it's, uh, it's not just moralism, but uh, we, we want to teach them about Christ. Now, here is a challenge. I will bring my kids to a children's ministry, and let's include youth here, that exalts Jesus even over fun. Okay? Now... Don't get me wrong, I I love fun, I, I love a party, you know, I love fun, I love sports and games and laughing, and I love fun, okay? But in so many youth ministries especially, it's just what can we do to keep them coming back and bring their friends and have a lot of fun, and then we'll try to sneak in a lesson. Um... how are they going to truly get converted and grow if it's primarily about fun? Okay? So, and and then you hear hear families who will say this. My kid's just not interested uh, in a serious walk with the Lord, um, but they will go to this church's youth group because his friends go there and it's a lot of fun. So, We know the church isn't really a gospel-preaching church, and they don't take the word that seriously, but at least they're going to church. I know that sounds like an advantage, but in the end, all you're doing is you're saying, okay, we found a church that has watered down the word enough for them not to be challenged, and he feels good or she feels good about going to church. Their, their guilty conscience has been assuaged. But are they really being challenged and discipled to grow? Okay, So I, it's amazing how many people choose a church based on what their kids will tolerate versus an adult decision that says, I'm going to lead the family. Okay. So any, any thoughts or questions about that? No? Okay. It's awfully quiet in here. You guys were louder during the service. All right. <laughs> Number seven, servanthood. Every member is a minister. Okay. Every member is a minister. And here's my picture. It's the classic Norman Rockwell of uh, the family gathered for, for dinner. And, and the idea here is this. Um, the Bible equates the church, the body of Christ to a family. Okay? Um, so church is more like a family reunion where everybody brings a dish and everybody pitches in and, hey, we're going to have a game now, so let's move the chairs and, you know, and now it's time to clean up, so let's help with the chairs and let's clean the dishes. And um, the, the church is much more pictured as a family than a theater, okay? I think we've turned church into a theater where it's, I go for, you know, it starts at a certain time. And I sit back and I take it in. I can judge it. I can uh, determine whether it's enjoyable or not. Um, And then, oops, time to go, get in my car and leave. Um, Where is that in the Bible? The church is a family and everybody participates and yes, there's the showtime uh, for you know, certain things that need to be presented, but that's not church. That's, that's, uh, that's the service. In fact, I think if you read Corinthians, you'll see a much looser um, church service where it's, I don't know, that they even had an order of service. People were singing and people were doing different things and using their different spiritual gifts. It was much more low church than high church. Okay. And then it was followed by, um, really, a potluck where they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And there were probably kids running around and there was um, you know, people sitting at different tables. And it was, it was much more like a family reunion than going to a restaurant and being served. Okay. So here, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given... The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, what does that mean? If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have a spiritual gift. All right? Now, what are you supposed to do with that spiritual gift? Uh, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So, you're supposed to say, well, what, are, what is my giftedness? How can I use that? to serve the other people in the family. Now, what I have found is sometimes there's like a formal gift that is used in an official ministry, like singing, um, teaching. But I, the, the longer I've been a pastor, the more I've realized that a lot of the gifts that people have are informal. You know, like there's the gift of encouragement, um, there's, they're used in smaller settings. They're used in small groups. You, know, I haven't discovered my gift. Just get in a get in a group, and love people, and and you discover what your gift is, and you can serve. But it's not like an HR department of a uh, of a, a company where you know, they have all these complicated tests you can take now to find out what your spiritual gift is online. Have you ever taken one of those? Um, what you find out is to even find out what your spiritual gift is by taking those computerized tests. They ask you, well, in serving in your church, have you tried this, this, and this? In other words, they, they assume that you've jumped in and tried some different things, that you've had some success and some failures. So um, we're not that complicated where we have an HR department and a computerized test to find out what your spiritual gift is. Uh, we just have a list of ministries. Sometimes they're on the back of your bulletin. Other times they're not. Um, but you go, oh, there's like a handful of ministries here. I feel like I like kids. Maybe I can help in the Sunday school. Or, um, you know, I sang in college. Maybe I could be used here and here's the big key i put the initiative on you to use your gift well nobody's asked me how about you find out where you can serve now we need to be accommodating we need to be be trying to assimilate people but so many people have an attitude that I'll sit here, I'll enjoy the show, and nobody's asked me, and I'm kind of offended. Well, wait a minute, where's the servant? Are you a servant in a family, or are you a person applying for a job? Okay? So, let me, let me just ask you, do you know what your spiritual gift may be? Do you have a passion for maybe a certain ministry. Do you love kids? Do you love music? Uh, Maybe some administrative. You know, every ministry usually has a visionary who's not very good at organizing, and then they need an administrator to come alongside and help them administrate it so it it goes smoother. Okay, So where's your passion? Um, And then you go to the ministry leader and you say, hey, uh, is there any place I could serve here? do you need any help? So we have actually ministry leaders amongst us here. You guys help me out here. How, uh, do you have any insight for the folks who are listening um, as to how to make this work? A new person coming to church and they're saying, how do I get involved? Um, give me some feedback. Ministry leaders or those of you who are, are actually looking to get involved. Mm-hmm. doing them and you know, it it just is very important. Yeah, it certainly doesn't have to be a spotlight right. position. So Laura. Well I'm in trouble the coffee and we are always needing coffee. <laughs> Anyone would love to serve you coffee and noodles, what have you. Uh um, and, and that's uh like a once a month or even less. Whenever, yeah. so so basically you show up a little early, put on the coffee pots set out some food, and then clean it up afterwards. Right? Yeah. So talk to Lori. Lori also does a, uh, are, are we calling it Helping Hearts and Hands still? Um, let's say there's a family who's moving uh, from one location in the area to another location in the area, and um, they need you know, help moving. Um, we could call Lori. She could let the men's ministry know or the youth ministry know, and we can try and get some people together to do that. Um, or, you know, just, just those needs that come up with people in the church where uh, a single person or a person who, uh, who needs some help, they can't do it, so we as a church should pull together as a family and help them. Okay? Shane? Yeah, it's, you don't get points, you don't, you know, it's not for show, it's just, it, you know, it's the best analogy, the family, Uncle Bert needs some help, let's go paint his house, you know. Yeah. Now be careful. If you say, where's your so-and-so ministry? You're it. <laughs> now, now let me um, let me also temper this a little bit in the sense that there are structured ministries that do have leadership. So it's not as loosey-goosey as, well, of course I can sing a solo and I'm on next Sunday. Now, you know, uh, we we do want you to, to check in with the leadership. That we do have in place just to make sure that I guess the main point is this I want to make sure we have an attitude of servanthood. How can I serve? Not how can I be a big shot, but how can I serve? So, yeah, Nicole. Help them out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So here's the challenge. Uh, I will discover and develop my spiritual gifts by serving others in the ministries of Valleybrook. So, um, you know, and, and it's, I, I don't want you to feel pressured like, oh, well, I've been here two weeks and I need to be, you know, get to know, get to know people. Um, at, at the same time, we, oh, I, this is what I was going to say. You go, I have no idea where to start. We have a great starter plan for you. It's called Set Up and Tear Down. Okay? Um, <laughs> now, here's the advantage of not having a building. Um, the advantage is we pay 100 bucks a week for this building. That is great, not to have a $2 million mortgage, right? The disadvantage is it's a school the rest of the week, so we have to set all this stuff up. And, it, you know, a small church, that gets taxing on people. So the idea is let's spread the load out. Now, just like in a family, you know, there are those, uh, those tasks that you want the experts to do, and then there are those tasks that everybody needs to pitch in. And, and this is one of those where if you get on the setup and teardown list, the more we have, the less, the less you have to do it. But Mike... Um, would you be the one to talk to these days? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're short too, so. Yeah. And then Jim, it, uh, Jim is hobbling out with a bad foot, but he would be tear down, and then Todd for, for tear down also, right? So we can put you to, to work in, in uh, various ways like that. Okay. All right. Let me move on then to number eight community. Um, life change happens best in, a, in small groups. Okay, um, And here, he, 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 let, let, let me tell you this. Um, I think everybody's been involved in different churches, some from big, huge megachurches, others from smaller churches. And um, typically what happens if you're coming from a megachurch to a church like this, you can start to say things like, oh, I love this. Because you get to know everybody. Right? And um, uh, a church really shouldn't be bigger than 200 because everybody can't know everybody. Well, the problem with that is the first church that God ever created on the planet was the church in Jerusalem. And on one day, 3,000 people got baptized. A couple pages later, it grows to 5,000 men. And it just says men. So add the wives and the children. you got 25,000, 30,000 people in the first church. right? So the idea that um, it's unbiblical to be a big church is just not, uh, uh, the first church was huge. Well, you go, well, how did people get to know one another? Well, look at this. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So they had their large group, temple, you know, courts, but then there were house to house. And in essence, what, what they did was they said, I don't have to know everybody, but I do need to know somebody. And um, they said, I'm going to, I am going to choose to be in community, and that community doesn't have to be every single person, but it does need to be somebody. And that's where small groups and, and smaller ministries fit in. Okay, So um, <laughs> here, uh, here we have uh, probably brother and sister, but it's just a picture of fellowship. Now, don't, we, don't worry, we don't do that in small groups. LAUGHTER George is starting a new small group. Um, What's that? Yeah, the Eskimos. So here's the challenge. It's my responsibility to get to know and be known by others in the church. I once had somebody say, well, is it mandatory to be in a small group? You know what? It's possible... To be in a small group, to be in a ministry, to be here every Sunday and still not be known. What, what we're after is this. Um, enter into community. Enter into um, friendships and fellowships. So when your life does hit a wall, you have others there who can pull you up and care about you, and pray for you. Um, or, you know, you start to go astray. Hey, uh, so-and-so calls you up. Are you okay? What's, what are you doing? You know, some, some accountability. But it is possible, and I've seen people who are masters at this, to attend a church, attend a small group, attend a ministry, and still be on the edge enough that they've really never gotten to know anybody or be known. And usually there's some spiritual thing going on there, something they're trying to hide, so they don't want to be accountable. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying you're, you're, they put you under the spotlight and you, you know, you're interrogated. It's just, are you known enough that if you were to go AWOL spiritually you would have some friends who could lovingly pull you back. Okay? So, um, again, the challenge here is to go beyond surface acquaintance to getting to know people. Now, let me tell you this. A lot of times, people come to a church and they go, Oh, love it. Love it, love it, love it. Love those people. Join in a small group. They're my best friends now. And then they have their first conflict, and then they leave. I guarantee you, you're going to have a conflict with somebody. I know these people. (laughs) They're not 100% sanctified yet, and neither am I. So if they don't offend you, I'll offend you, okay? But then the question is, do you have enough community to work through it? And that's when real community starts to happen, when you work through the conflict and you're standing on the other side and you go, yeah, we got a few bruises and a few scars. Um, But, you know, again, back to the family analogy. Who's in a family where everybody gets along and there's never been an argument? Right. So I don't want to pretend that, oh, this is the first church on the planet where everybody gets along all the time. Yeah, there's there's going to be issues, okay. So any thoughts on that? Now I've scared you to death. Right? Now it's just it's just life, right? Okay, number nine, excellence. God deserves excellence, and people are drawn by it. Okay. Um, what I what I want to do here, I don't want to create. A false, uh, you know, there there are a lot of churches that are all about the image, the perfect music, the perfect sermon, the perfect drive-in, and the the parking ministry, and it's all perfect and it's an illusion. I'm not about that. What I want us to embrace is that God deserves excellence. Okay, and here in uh, Malachi, it says, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. Um, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Um, Remember our offering, whether we're talking about a financial offering, or our offering when we do music, or my offering when I preach and prepare a lesson, or the offering of the tech people, or the offering of the nursery people, um, it's not let's just slap something together as a leftover. It's God is a mighty king, right? He deserves our best effort, not our leftover. So I found this lame lamb. (laughs) Um, God deserves our best, not our leftover. So here's a, here's a question or a challenge. I will give God my best effort in worship, in study, in serving, in giving, and my schedule. Now now let me touch on schedule. Um, so many Christians are rush into the service late, right? Um, Yawn because I've stayed up late on Saturday night and then when's this thing going to be over? God is not the the center, the pinnacle of your schedule, right? Um, We have three kids, very active in sports and stuff. And we know of the challenge of Sunday. Now they, they schedule sporting events on Sundays. And I'm not a legalist that says, shame on you. You know, a couple weeks ago my daughter was gone. She was in Orlando dancing. Okay? So I don't want to be a legalist about it. But does not God deserve Sunday morning to be the highlight of your schedule, not the leftover? In your giving, does he not deserve to be the number one item, not, hey, if there's some left over? In your serving, in your fellowship, is it, ah, I don't have time, I don't have time? You know, and I know I'm challenging you from both ends here, because before I said um, there are those who do nothing but activities with church people, get out there with some pagans and get beat up, right? Now I'm saying, you know, make him number one in your schedule, those are not contradictory. I think you can also make him number one by making time in your schedule for non-believers, okay? But are you offering him your best effort? That's, that's what I want. And I, I think people are drawn by that. Um, I, I think when people say, wow, that church takes serving God seriously, not just the show that's put on, but the people and their dedication And all the glory goes to him. Okay? So any thoughts on that? Giving him our best, not our leftover, not a lame lamb? No? Okay? Preach it, brother. Preach it. I think people should make more of an to be here before Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, I don't want to get legalistic and, and uh, crotchety, but our motivation is, does he deserve it? Right? Does he deserve it? So, All right, any other thoughts? Good. All right, last one is unity. And I don't know why this is 10. These are not necessarily in order of importance. The world knows Christ is real when his people love one another, okay? Um, we actually do have a church covenant, which if I preached on that, that would take another week. So I, I'm just gonna, uh, I took a bunch of the things from the church covenant and included them here. Um, how, do we, how do we pursue Unity. By acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, avoiding unkind words and unrighteous anger, by giving and receiving correction and with gentleness, by giving and receiving correction, cross it out, with gentleness, okay, by being slow to take offense and always ready for reconciliation, okay? Let me me highlight a couple of words here. One is gossip. Um, Here's a picture Of a pillow fight, right? And if you've heard my story, the woman who goes to the pastor and says, "Pastor, I have a problem with gossip. I just the minute I hear it, I have to tell people." And he says, "All right, what I want you to do? Go get a feather pillow. And um, on the windiest day of the week next week, I want you to go stand on the on the highest point in town, rip open the pillow, and shake out the feathers." She goes, "This is the weirdest pastor I've ever talked to." But she does it. She goes to Walmart and uh, buys a feather pillow. It was a really windy day. She rips it open, shakes the feathers out, and they blow all over. And then she comes back to the pastor and says, okay, I've done what you said. And he says, now what I want you to do is go gather all those feathers back. And she goes, well, that's impossible. He goes, exactly. That's what it's like with gossip. Once it leaves the mouth, you, you can't get it back. And now we have high- tech ways of gossiping. It's called Facebook, It's called cell phones, it's called you know So realize that especially in a small community, uh, word travels very quickly and i don't I don't mean just the church. I mean Elburn, pretty small. Is there anybody's business you don't know about, right? Um, so be careful about gossip, and then. Here's the other thing. By being slow to take offense, all right? um, have you ever met a person who's a human bruise? Always being hurt. What they said hurt me. Um, toughen up. Come on. There's a. I, I mean, yes, there's uh, people who, we need to be careful that we don't unintentionally hurt people. That's fine. But... There are also people who are so easily offended and read into everything. Okay, Um, the the classic story I like to tell is a true story. I read it in Pastors Magazine of a church was having a big celebration banquet or a building banquet or something. So they wanted to have a nice meal and they decorated the tables and um, on the committee. Uh, there were two people who uh, had a little disagreement over the centerpieces that should be uh, in the table. And uh, one guy wanted to, it was, it was to celebrate growth, so he wanted to put a little sapling in a cup with dirt, and that would be the centerpiece. And then there was a lady who said, I'm not putting dirt on the tables. i are going to have some fine china. And they got into a real wicked battle between one another. And then the pastor had to go talk to the one and then talk to the other, and there were meetings, and finally they reconciled. And then at the end of the story, he says, they both eventually left the church. Over centerpieces. Now, if it's over the deity of Christ... Justification by faith alone. But centerpieces, are we that easily bruised that we would leave over that? So, here's my final picture. Um. (laughs) Whatever, you know. (laughs) Don't destroy fellowship over centerpiece. Well, I I actually Googled redneck centerpiece, and that's what... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the Internet doesn't know what's up there, though. <laughs> so, all right, any thoughts on that? But you know people who are so easily offended. They're always hurt. They're always the victim. And you know what? My, you, you might think that they have low self-esteem. In my opinion, they're narcissistic. They're narcissists because the world revolves around them. And yes, let's be careful of one another's feelings. In fact, here's the verse um, Ephesians. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Here's the keyword bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I would say this is true of marriage, and this is true of church. There's a time to confront sin. There's a time to call one another out. There's a time to repent. And then there's a time to just bear and not be so offended. You know, if if my wife called me on the carpet for every little offense, we would be, it would be a full-time... Shooting and match. And the same is true with Christians. You know, there's a time to just go, that's them. They're okay. That's, it's not worth it. Let's just keep going on and keep loving. I'm not saying sweep sin under the carpet. I'm saying put up with imperfection and bear one another for the sake of unity. Okay. So um, the challenge, I refuse to gossip, intimidate, or be a human Bruce. All right. So those are, those are our values and vision. Um, any last questions on that? Pretty simple. Hard to live out. Let's pray. Okay. Father, thank you for this church and thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us without uh, clear direction. Thank you for um, these values that... Um, They don't come from the top down, but the people have embraced these. And uh, pray that we would continue to try to live by what your word says. And um, Father, use Valley Brook corporately and individually uh, to reach people for Jesus. And may he receive all the glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.